Welcome to On Point. My name is Rich Sanvanero, and I'm the host. And today with us, we are interviewing Jimmy Lodato, school board candidate for District 3. Hello, Jimmy. How are you doing, Richie? Welcome. So, Jimmy, talk about District 3. Um, do you believe in districts? Actually, I do not. And the reason I do not believe in districts is because of the way it's set up. You see, if you're in District 3, but you are elected countywide, you really don't represent the district. If you were in District 3 and you were voted on by the people in District 3, then you would truly represent your district. And that's not what we have here. Everything we have here is voted on countywide. So the elections for everyone is a countywide election, but yet there are districts. Oh, yes. Yes, there are districts one, you know, one through five. Okay. Well, tell us about your, your background, your personal background. I'm sure a lot of people would like uh, to know who Jimmy you. Lodato is. Well, thank you, Richie. I appreciate you asking that question. Uh, people have a misconception of what we all are. They don't know what our background is, but I came from a place called Ybor City. I was born there in a time when Ybor City was really Ybor City, and uh, mobster activity was a way of life. And so I was educated uh, for nine straight years in a school called Philip Shore. And at that uh, school was a man named Philip Bondi, who happens to be the great uncle of Pam Bondi. And he took a certain interest in me because I hung with a lot of people who were undesirable. And he would send out the Toronto officer to come pick me up and explain to me that if I didn't toe the line that I would end up in jail one day. So the five educators that I always talk about uh, in the campaign were very instrumental in taking me away from that type of life and showing me a new life that I could attain. And that's who I owe everything to. So Ybor City, is that's like the, the home base for the cigar industry. Absolutely. My family came in. I'm a second generation American. My family came in from Sicily, all of my grandparents. And they located in New Jersey first, and then they came down into Ybor City because of the cigar industry and because of employment. It was a different time then, you know, you had to come in and be sponsored uh, when you crossed the border. You had to yeah. be sponsored, you had to be brought in, you had to have a job, you had to have uh, certain credentials to get here, and it was done under the lottery system. So, so they say, have you always lived in Florida? Oh yes, I, I've been uh, living in Florida most all my life. I separated back out in uh, 63 when I went to work for a, uh, a national concern up in the Carolinas, and I worked 13 years for that corporation. Well, you have a very lengthy and successful business background. Yes, I do, and thank you for asking that. Uh, uh, it was a hard, hard battle, Richie, because I worked uh, through the School of Hard Knocks. I have one year of college, but I had so many mentors uh, coming along the way. One of the mentors that I mentioned uh, quite a few times because I was in the field of merchandising and advertising, and I represented some very large corporations back then, uh, one was George W. Jenkins, who's the chairman of the board of Publix, uh, the founder of Publix. And uh, George took me under his wing at the age of 22 because his best friend, Bill Blanton, was a very close friend of his. And so I happened to learn all about the food industry way back when I was 22 years old. And I was called the kid because <laughs> I always had ideas to bring to him. And he'd look at me like, do you really think that we need to sell non-food products in a food store? And I could tell Mr. George, we need to move in that direction. So. I'm very, very proud of uh, what the Jenkins family meant to me. And so what was the driving force behind that success? Well, I think the driving force for anybody in success is uh, the poor beginnings that we come from and what we want to do to attain success and the mentors that we meet along the way. Mentors are extremely important, Richie. Uh, what we have in our schools now is uh, everything is all about studies and nothing about mentor programs. You know, we used to have uh, uh, programs where we'd have recess, we'd have uh, sections where we'd have bring people in the auditorium, all our kids, and, and people from uh, all walks of life would come to us and, and explain their life story. And that is what drives you to what you really want to do in life because they open your eyes to all the possibilities. Well, would you consider some of the teachers uh, to be mentors oh, in one yeah. way or the other? And they are shaping our students for the to be our future leaders. Absolutely. I, I mention this all the time. People always ask me how important my teachers were to me. Uh, my teachers were my mentors. My teachers were the ones who took the time to work with me and show me the possibilities. That's why I work so hard for the school district and as a volunteer, because uh, the teachers and the students are extremely important to me. So 
getting back, since you're retired, do you still maintain those corporate uh, relationships? Oh, yes, yes. I, I represented 17 Fortune 500 companies. Uh, I represented uh, General Electric, Polaroid, Duracell, uh, L'Oreal Paris, uh, did uh, Vidasa soon, uh, five divisions of Fruit of the Loom. All these, these corporate CEOs and VPs, they move from company to company. So the 17 companies that I represented back then turned into over 100. And a lot of them, after I retired, uh, stayed in touch with me uh, on a social basis. And it was extremely important. One of them, I mean, that was really uh, incredible is when I lived on the island of Tierra Verde, um, the Mossbergs lived on the island across from us, Alan Mossberg, who was the chairman of the board of Mossberg Shotguns. But uh, all of us socialized. All of us would meet once a year, sometimes twice a year, uh, someplace in the Bahamas or a location. So that's how you spent your time being retired? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, my wife and I decided after we retired, uh, I was 39 years old, that uh, we would get into uh, sailing. And so we bought our first sailboat. Uh, and then I got caught in a storm. And uh, once I got caught in the storm, I, I kind of wondered, uh oh, I better, go, I better go learn as much as I can about sailing so I don't get killed here on the water. But uh, no, I, we did it for about 20 years, Richie. But at the same time, all of these other people who were CEOs, and some of them were retired, joined me. We had, I'll give you a really great story. Uh, the president of uh, Chase Mortgage lived across from me in Tierra Verde. And uh, he was sailing with us every weekend. We'd go sailing. And, and his headquarters was in, in New York when he became president. And I kept telling Fred all the time, I said, Fred, why don't you just you know, move the corporate office here where it's closer to you because Chase can be anywhere. You fly up there to New York on Mondays, you fly back on Friday, and we're already out sailing and you're still working, so why don't you try and move the company here? Well, if you go over to Tampa, you'll find Chase Mortgage is in Tampa. Wow. Yeah. These are the stories I tell people all the time. These contacts you make are very important to the success. Well, they're lifetime contacts. Const yes. The, uh so were you involved in politics in, in uh, Terra Verde as well? Yes, uh, that's a real, real interesting story. Uh, when we retired, we settled in Terra Verde, the island of Terra Verde, and at that time it was a Deltona project, and they turned it over to the population, and they were kind of meandering trying to figure out which way they were going to go. And uh, the chairman of the board of Florida Power, his name is Dr. Critchfield, asked me if I would run for that office, and uh, I won you know, across the whole board, and, and the Terra Verde Association was like, almost like a mayor uh, of the island, and uh, we were known as Terrible Verde back then, uh, because everybody who approached the county always wanted to do it for their own personal reasons, but in a one-year one year, uh, time limit, that I, not time limit, but one-year uh, time schedule, uh, I put together the beautification plan for the island, five-year beautification plan with my board. Uh, we also put in sheriff's protection, contracted with the uh, county, uh, we did um, repaving of the roads, reclaim water. Uh, all these programs that we put together were put together in a one-year time, time period. It was phenomenal. So and and yeah. the island of Tierra Verde now is actually the gem of Pinellas County. The property values went from, I think the high point was about 400000 at the time to about uh, $3.6 I think the last home sold for. A little bit out of my price range. Oh. But, so what brought, what brings you to Hernando County, and when did you come to beautiful uh, Hernando County? I came here by accident, Richie. And, uh, I guess you can't say everything's by accident because God usually leads you to where he wants you to go. But uh, my kids, when they were growing up, we would bring them up here motorcycling over at Croom. So every weekend we're up here at uh, 50 and uh, the expressway. And it's such a beautiful place. You know, I always admired this place. And... Uh, my wife is a country girl, and uh, she always wanted to, when we stopped sailing, uh, wanted to buy a place in the country and settle here. And so that's what we did. We settled here, like again, uh, I thought by accident, but after talking to many of the religious leaders in the community, they made it quite clear that you're not here by accident. So you, you, you saddled up to live a peaceful life on the farm. Yes, yes. We bought a little place up on Hancock Hill and Mondon Hill Road. And uh, my wife uh, got involved in raising goats, South African boar goats. It started off as a hobby, and then it became a big business. She became the uh, top uh, food distributor for Archer Daniels Midland. And uh, she was awarded all kinds of uh, awards, for, even from Florida A&M. She became a, a national judge for the United States Borgo Association. 
And at one time, Richie, we had 170 goats on that property, 15 acres. It was amazing. We were shipping all over the country, even down to Aruba, Curacao, and even into uh, Guyana in uh, South America. Wow. Yeah. So what made you decide to run for office? Uh, my wife. My wife in 2006 contracted cancer. And uh, when she did, uh, it was devastating. Uh, my wife was young. It was premenopausal. It became a very aggressive cancer. Grew from a small size of a pea and in a three-month period. It was the size of a golf ball. Uh, her, it was devastating to us. Uh, she went through a, an aggressive uh, treatment because she was premenopausal. And so for about a five-year period, Richie, my wife, was almost uh, like a zombie. She, she couldn't function. Uh, two, two days out of a 14-day period, uh, she was okay, but uh, the rest of it, she stayed in bed. So after she comes out of this, if you recall, in 2006, everything was great, but in 2008, the world fell apart, yeah. and we went into a recession. And we started looking around, and everybody was losing their homes. They're losing their cars, losing their jobs. I mean, the things became so bad. And here she comes out in 2011 out of five years of cancer treatments, and she says to me, you know, Jimmy, you got to go help these people. You know, they're, this is a disaster. Uh, they all lost their jobs. They've lost their, their livelihoods. You can help them. You could bring corporations here. You could get jobs for them. And I said, you know, what am I supposed to do, Tammy? You know, I'm an old man. She says, you could bring those people you know here and bring corporations here and make a difference. And that is when I did a stupid thing. I decided I was going to go ahead and jump in the race, and I jumped in one day before qualifying. Didn't know anything about parties, didn't know anything about, you know, protocol. I just did this thing thinking that everyone would accept what I had to offer and, you know, embrace you. But in the world of politics, it's not that way, Richie. You know, uh, people get in office and they keep them in office, but they don't look for any new ideas or new things. And I kept bringing a lot of new ideas to the county commission. And then some they'd look at and some, you know, they would even have things in the paper like Jimmy's just blowing smoke over their heads, you know. But I, I never did that, Richie. I'm not a person who lies about anything. I just try to do good. In previous elections, as you brought up, you ran for county commission against Wayne Dukes yes. and then against Nick Nicholson. Yes. During these campaigns, you focused on economic development in the county and your involvement with Corporate Jet Solutions. Yes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, I can. Uh, I found Corporate Jet Solutions in the audience, and I didn't know anything about them. They were trying to get in here, and they just couldn't seem to make headway in coming in here. There were all kinds of stipulations and things that were put in before them. And at that time, we had an aviation authority, and uh, Gary Schrott was uh, involved with it, and a lot of really smart people. Well, they presented it to them, and then they presented it to the, to the county, and one day they were sitting in the audience trying to make their presentation, and they were so frustrated because nobody would let them. And uh, so they got up from their, uh, their seats and started to walk out, and I stopped them, and I said, you know, uh, I understand what you're saying. I heard your program, but, uh, you know, is anybody helping you with this? And they said, no, no, but we're going to go ahead and go back to St. Pete. And I said, uh, do you mind if I take you to lunch? And they said, well, we're 11 of us. I said, well, I'll take you all to lunch. So we went to the Rising Sun, and I, I listened to all their campaigning as far as what they were going to try and do. Did you the, get 10 waters? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> we got 11 orders, and it was, it was uh, a massive undertaking just talking to 11 people at one time but the gist of it was I asked them since I was you know involved in corporate life if I could represent them as a spokesman and they asked me well what would you charge and I said I never charge for services I do everything pro bono so after going home that evening they asked me to uh, to get involved with them now I want you to explain I'm not going to go through the whole technicalities of it, but we did get corporate jet in here and corporate jet was an incredible company a maintenance company not uh, using small planes, but big planes, net jet planes, 6,000-gallon planes. This company was so impressive, and the companies that they were doing business with was Warren Buffett's company, NetJets. And so we started putting two to two together and figuring out what we could bring in at the same time. So we actually went out and solicited some companies, and one of them was Aerobat Aviation. And it was the flying saucer concept, and we flew it here at SunWest. And uh, it was a great uh, opportunity for us. And we also, at the same time, I brought in a natural gas company, uh, one that was a uh, reconditioning company of 
large planes that were being uh, were supposed to be maintained here and reconditioned and sent to Dubai. So we had five different corporations that we were considering bringing here, but they got into a corporate uh, problem uh, as far as with uh, uh, the county, where the county would not honor the contract and they evicted them. This is the old county commissioners. These are the commissioners who were in there before, you know, and so with Nicholson and Rowden and all, all of them. Uh, but we lost it, and when we lost that, we lost all of those companies at the same time. Now they're in other areas in the country. Well, you've been criticized for running in past elections. In fact, the Tampa Bay Times recently referred to you as the perennial candidate. What would you say to that? <laughs> I tell you, Richie, you know, when you try to do good and you bring ideas in that are new and innovative, there is always a certain segment of the population who does not want to hear it, who doesn't want to believe it, uh, who doesn't want to accept it. Tampa Bay Times has always been slanted, you know, in a different direction. The reason they keep bringing up about being, you know, uh, me being a perennial candidate is because, and I've asked them this question, I'm running against an opponent who's run eight times in this county, you know, has lost three races. And so, but they never bring that up. And so that kind of upsets me when you gear in on one person, but never talk about the other person who is involved at the same time. Well, that might be the fake media. Oh, no, it's, there's no question. In this county, uh, since we've lost the Tampa Tribune, all we have is the fake media. They, they come out and they slant stories in their direction, and they always make it biased only. They create the news. And that is not what we need here. Creation of news is not what we need. If they want a good paper to go uh, you know, read, go over to the Hernando Sun. That's a paper that tells it like it is. They're upbeat, and they cover all of Hernando County. I understand you were the driving force behind that half-cent school funding initiative, and what led to that decision? Well, in 2014, the county came forward and decided they were going to go uh, uh, hop on the backs of our children, and I say that very bluntly because the school district had a half-cent that was up for renewal, and instead of going for a renewal, the county decided they would try to put a half-cent together with theirs and created this penny for projects. The problem being is that the former board, not the board who's in there now, but the former board decided to go in the direction of penny for projects. At the time they did this, I stood before the county commission and told them not to do this, that if they wanted a half cent for themselves, they should have their own half cent program. But the half cent for the schools should not be touched. That should be a renewal. And I told uh, the county that, you know, the schools, if they lose this, they lose probably $8.4 million each year, probably, you know, with the uh, advent of the economy getting better, $10 million on that one year alone. Uh, but they decided to go with it. And in uh, November of 2014, the county was voted, this penny for projects was voted against, and they lost the entire thing. And at the same time, they took our schools out. Because what happened is without that half cent for capital improvements for our schools, our schools were starting to fall apart, and what happened then was they would get money from the general fund to try and prop up the schools that were deficient as far as maintenance. Well, wasn't the half-cent tax already in, in there, but it was sunsetting, because there was already yes. previously. It was sunsetting that particular year, yes. and in order for it to continue, it had to have a, a referendum on the ballot to continue. Yes. Well, correct? yes, that is correct, and I think uh, the biggest problem that the, uh, the school district had is they didn't identify the projects that they were going to use that half cent on. You know, as well as I do, uh, politicians uh, say they're going to do something, and then uh, when they gather the money to a, to a tax increase, then they funnel it to another section that they want to use it for. But uh, that's where the school districts made a big mistake. They did not identify the projects they were going to use it for. At the same time, the county identified their projects, but during the campaign, they kept changing what they were going to use the money for. And with the uh, depression or recession that they call, call it, people were not in the mood to give you an extra half cent. I truly believe that the schools would have gotten their half cent if they would have presented it just for themselves with documentation of what they were going to spend it on. Well, everyone is, is re, everyone uh, respects transparency. Oh, absolutely. So if you have, if you have the, the list, I'm sure the taxpayers in the county would be more for it at yes. that time. Yes. Actually, after the half cent failed, 
after the half cent failed, uh, we were very distressed and worried about uh, how we're going to lose that uh, you know, penny for projects. That's the project that failed. Once we lost the half cent for the schools, I went back to the schools to ask them, you know, uh, Superintendent Romano at the time, and I asked uh, Gus Guardadino, who's the chairman, you know, what are we going to do now? Since uh, I'm a volunteer, what can I do to help you? And the idea of restoring the half cent actually was born in Panera Bread uh, while speaking to my friend Anthony Kovic. Anthony and I went through over the project and, and we went over it line by line to try to figure out now what are we going to do about bringing this project back and secondly is what are we going to lose if we don't? And so I had another meeting with Gus Guardadino, actually at a bagel shop right close to his place and uh, I asked him then, you know, uh, Gus, what are we going to do now that the schools are losing this half cent? And he said he didn't know at that time. So I uh, went back to Dr. Romano and she put me on a steering committee. Uh, and uh, gave me the full authority to go through their finances. And I had a group of uh, 12 volunteers at the time who went through uh, the items I, you know, line by line to find out what we we're going to lose. And we found out that the schools were going to lose so many programs. There were going to be programs that were going to be cut. You're talking about, you know, uh, programs like sports, uh, arts, uh, you know, just everything that means something to children would, would be lost if we didn't come forward with trying to restore this half cent. So it went on for about three months, and finally I uh, went back to the board and gave them my report, and they asked me, well, when do you want to do this? And I said, well, all the indications I'm seeing on financing is showing that if you don't move forward and restore this half cent, you, you could be in a situation of bankruptcy because of the funding that was lost and the funding that you're pulling away from general funds to try to patch up the schools when your schools are falling apart. So you made a risky move by recommending a special election be putting on, on the ballot. Uh, do you regret that? Absolutely not. Uh, I've had criticism from uh, both sides of the parties and people who are non-parties about, you know, why did you do this? Why did you go forward with it? Don't you realize that, you know, if you're going to try and run for an office, you'd be, you know, it'd be political suicide. I even had people who came to me and said to me, you know, if you push this project forward, I'll make sure you never get elected in this county. And, you know, Richie, that goes into one ear and out the other. I will not put politics above our children. I will not put politics above our teachers. The foundation of this county and every place else is that foundation that you put together with your children and your schools. That's number one. That's why it ties into the, uh, the situation with economic development. You see, I had it wrong, Richie. I thought I could go to the county and I could talk them into bringing large corporations here. But when I brought the corporations here at my expense and I had them come into the county and check it out, they didn't want to come here because of one thing. We didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have the quality of life for the kids who are here, you know, that want to come back here. Companies will not relocate to an area where their kids and their education process is detrimental. And so that's when I thought, oh, well, this is what I've been doing wrong. So this is when I really got tied back into the schools and said, we're going to build it from the bottom up. We're going to educate our children. And that's when I got keyed into what we would have to do to bring economic development here. So having an educated workforce is paramount. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and another thing I do want to mention on that, that point there, Richie, is that you know, we're, we're getting away uh, from the proper education of our children. We uh, haven't looked at it in a big picture. There's 1,500 kids that graduate every year from Hernando County. 500 are not going to college. However, we don't train them in vocational studies, not the way we should. Now, I do have to tell you, we have a very strong advocate for this, and that's Sophia Watson. Uh, and she has pushed real hard to get uh, this type of education, vocational training, back into our children. Even with SunTech, uh, they're going out and they're educating people who have graduated already, and they're retraining them. So the point I'm trying to make is, in order for us to get ahead now, we're going to have to change the way we do things. I want to create a vocational school. I want to create a vocational school that just caters to youngsters who want to go into HVAC, want to go into plumbing, electrical, uh, all the foundation uh, jobs that will earn 50000 plus a year. And if you could do this and you get them a certification out of high school, these companies that I make mention of, they'll be here. And secondly, what we're missing is, think about the half cent. Think about $120 million we're bringing back into the community. 
Think of all the roofs that we're replacing right now in these schools and the HVAC systems we're replacing. And also look at the, the alarm systems, look at the flooring, look at the things that we're doing. When you see the signs that are posted that says, you know, you're half cent at work. We have documented everything to let people know what we're going to be doing in every school and under what time schedule. And at the same time, we have put in a group of people, three people who were against this, this sales tax, three people who were for it, and one person who's neutral. And they monitor every single dime that is being spent with the school district. If one penny is being relocated to any other area other than the projects that we have mentioned, that, that tax goes away. And it cannot be bonded. You see, it only can be spent as it comes in. And it's coming in at the rate of 10 to 12 million a year. Yeah, that's good. So you've been an active, uh, very active school district volunteer. And can you tell us some projects that you're involved with right now um, with the schools? Yes, just recently uh, we had a situation with the Parkland um, tragedy. And uh, it's a really interesting story because I was also placed at the time with Dr. Romano in 2016 on the Finance Committee, and I answered directly to her. And I have to tell you, you know, she, she was a dynamic uh, woman who uh, wasn't afraid to take chances. And this was a big chance uh, going forward with a half cent. But what we, we did was we identified so many things to her as to what we would have to do. And so when 2016 came along, uh, after the, this is after the half cent was passed uh, back in September of uh, 2015, uh, we realized the monies that would be available. So having me go through the finances of the, of the school district was advantageous because we were able to bring cuts forward that were not being uh, used properly or not uh, accounted for properly. And what we did is we balanced the budget the first time in 11 years. We actually balanced the budget. Now I'm gonna give you a really good case about this, Richie, because you'll love this. Everybody always talks about our legislators not doing anything, they're not spending enough money. You know, remember we've gone through a recession, a big recession. Monies were not available like they are now. But when I went to the legislators and told them that I was $2 million short and I couldn't get the budget balanced uh, without some funding, they uh, reenacted the, uh, the sparsity funds, which is the monies that are allowed uh, for the children, you know, per child. And we picked up $2 million and we were able to balance the budget because of working together with them. But another thing that is a good, as I mentioned before about the Parkland incident, when I looked at the budget and found out that we only had $400,000 set aside for uh, the SROs in the schools. And to give you an idea, the, the half cent uh, could not be used for any of, of that. And so I had to go to the county commissioners and I got a, a permission from the superintendent uh, when we were asked how soon can we get uh, uh, SROs into our elementary schools because we didn't have sheriff deputies in the elementary schools. The public really didn't know this. And uh, I went to Steve Champion and I went to all of my county commissioners and asked them one by one that I needed help. And would you help me with the SROs so we can get these schools covered. Do you know that they went ahead and put the funding up and matched our funding so that we could get SROs into the schools, into the elementary schools? Two, this is two days after they approved it on Tuesday. On Thursday, we had SROs in every school. Our children are our most precious assets. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I'll give, you, I'll give you one more incident of that. Uh, I went back to them again and I told them that we're paying 12 months for SROs, but you're using the sheriff deputies for uh, a two-month period, and could you actually give us some of that money back so that we could have it for other uh, things? And at the same time, I discussed the crossing guards with them. And so the county commission actually, I mentioned it this morning to them uh, and thanked them for that again. They actually uh, turned around and gave us a, uh, a refund of the two months because they're using those deputies, and it came to the tune of $409,000. And uh, crossing guards were, I believe, 360,000, if I'm not mistaken. So in one meeting with them, discussing with them, uh, this county commission was uh, open and receptive to doing what is right for our children. And I don't know if you know it or not, we were the first district to have SROs in every school, the first one in the entire state. Oh, that's great. So which leads me, so you have a, a pretty much a, a good rapport with the current sitting yes. uh, county commission. Yes, I, I'm, I'm happy that they have engaged us. 
Uh, people always talk about personalities. I don't see personalities. I, I will go speak to anyone who will help us and, uh, and convince them to come our way and do what's right for our children. And they have stepped up, and I'm proud of them. You have some ambitious plans for our school district. Uh, I'm going to just mention some. Uh, a project that you tell me uh, how you plan to implement each program, uh, vocational studies and apprentice program. Yes, the vocational studies, there are certain amounts of uh, monies that are in the budgets, all the budgets, and what I want to do is I want to do an analysis of all their budget, and we're going to find money that we can redirect to uh, the projects that I feel are very important. It goes back to the 500 kids that are not going to college. The vocational studies are extremely important in educating our children so they can get out of high school with certifications to get them jobs immediately. And that brings it back to the corporations that we talked about previously who are looking at all times for people to employ, but they don't have the workforce. So if we create this workforce from the high schools so they can get into these companies immediately, all of a sudden, think about this. What happens to these kids if we don't educate them? What happens to them if they get into trouble and they end up in jail? What does it cost to keep a person incarcerated? What do we do when we damage that child because he has no means of making an income and he looks to uh, illegal activities? I mean, when I think about that, I think of my own childhood. You know, back then, trying to find money to, to uh, have food on the table was very, very difficult. And what about the, you're talking about the mentor pro, uh, program yes. as well? Well, Richie, uh, go to the chamber and see how many executives we have at the chamber. Look at the success stories. This Chamber of Commerce has done a tremendous job in creating uh, companies who, who are viable. I want to bring those people in and have them speak to our children and make them aware of what is available to them. These companies are always looking to hire. And what happens is when you get a child, say for instance, that's in, in elementary school, and you bring someone in, let's just talk about uh, the basics. Uh, let's get a firefighter and bring a firefighter and talk about what firefighters do. Or let's bring uh, law enforcement people and explain what law enforcement does. Or we bring people from the chamber and explain what that does. And then we bring people again from 501c3s who have these incredible programs where they can use this talent of these children. So I think that if we create the mentor program, we'll instill in these children a different attitude and a different avenue of becoming successful. Very good. The, you have the school security and the SROs. Yes. It is imperative that we move in this direction. And we have one big difficult situation. Uh, since the Parkland incident, uh, which was a tragedy, uh, the legislators have uh, mandated that we uh, harden our schools by hardening the schools is to put in all different types of, of uh, you know, uh, available programs that will make sure that, like bulletproof glass, uh, single entry coming into the schools, locks that lock, uh, you know, from a remote location, uh, cameras everywhere. This is very costly. And what happened is the district went out and tried to hire a consultant who came back and said it's going to cost this county $31 million to harden our schools. I don't see that, Richie. You know, my, my feeling is I would like to hear what the sheriff has to say. I would like to hear what, what people who have been in this business have to say. We had some, some people in our organization as far as the school district who had tremendous knowledge in that direction, and that's where we should go. We should find out from them what it's going to take to keep our schools safe. I think the sheriff uh, is doing a great job, and... I think they're already, they do assess the schools on an annual basis yes. prior to this tragedy happening. Yes. And I know that they do report back to the superintendent or yes. the board of, of the uh, yes, they, school board. Yes, they, they do that, and, but at the same time you have certain board members who want to always do studies or want to bring consultants in or outside sources they feel could do a better job. I don't feel that way. I feel that our inside sources, our sheriff, can, can give us the direction of what we need to keep our schools safe. And there's many people out there who are professionals in this fa fashion. I like to hear from them. And we have uh, things that the, uh, you know, we have uh, issues with the busing for our students who yes. live one mile from the schools. Yes. 
uh, back in 2014 before the loss of the penny uh, for projects. Uh, Matt Foreman was the chairman at that time. And uh, I used to get in front of the school board every, every session, every two weeks, and explain to them the dangers that the kids are facing by having to walk two miles to school. And uh, it hit home, but not really the way it should have. But one day I was over at the East Side Elementary, and I saw this child walk in who was totally soaked. I mean, wet, Richie, pulling a little bag with wheels on it. And I saw her come in, and I asked the principal. Then I said, Mary Ledoux is there. And I said, Mary, what do we do with the kids that walk in? Because I was doing a reading session. And I, what, what do you do with the kids that walk in all wet? She says, uh, Jimmy, we just dry them up. If we have clothing, we give them some clothing, and we, we just put them back in school. I said, so I asked the child, I said, honey, where, where do you live? And she, she told me, you know, she was explaining where she lived. I don't want to identify it. And I said, uh, well, how far is that? And I told, you know, I asked the, the people at school. They said, it, it's probably close to two miles. And I said, oh, my God. And I said, this is insanity. So I went before the board, and I explained to them this two-mile situation. And I told them, I said, this is unacceptable, but I want to ask you a question. And I'll ask you the same question, Richie. I said, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your cars away from you. <laughs> and I'm going to have you walk two miles here to work as a board member. And then when you finish up, I'm going to keep your cars. And I'm going to have you walk two miles back home. What do you think of that? Of course, their response was non, <laughs> no response. But Matt Foreman listened to it. And Matt came back to me afterwards. He says, Jimmy, we're going to look into this program and see what we can do. So at the time, we got Doug Compton, who was in charge of transportation, put a little study together, and we enacted it and brought it back down to one mile. But when we lost the penny for projects, the funding dried up because they had to use general fund money to strength to help their schools out. And so we lost that and it went back to two miles. Richie, we cannot allow our kids to walk two miles to school in inclement weather with people out there who are predators. And that brings us back to sidewalks. We don't have sidewalks to our schools. If you go to Sunshine Grove Road, our kids are walking in the street and they're walking in the street uh, in dark, at the dark, it's dark. You know, at 6.30, it's still dark. And so they're walking out there with no sun, no light in the street, and we've had accidents where our kids have been injured badly. Now, let's get back to what we talked about. When did money become more important than our children? When is it that we can't transport them to school? Now, I'm gonna give you a, a great for instance because you're a businessman. What if we transport our kids to school and eliminate these long lines of parents who are having to drop their kids off? And let's talk about the parent who has three children. And her three children are going to three different schools. And this parent is having to take child number one to one school, child number two to another school, child number three to another school. The hours are different hours. So all day she's transporting and picking up her children. Now let's talk about economic development. If we were to transport those kids to school, that parent could get a job. That parent could help her household. Most households can't run on one parent anymore, a parent income. It needs two parents' income. So it, let's talk about economic development. So we transfer our kids to school. It's a little cost factor for us, yes. But at the same time, the parents are able to go to work, so they're buying larger homes. They're buying cars. They're buying TVs. This is what we need to do. We need to look at it in a broad spectrum, not just a single facet. And, and I know we have a couple of things. Special needs school. Yes. At present time, uh, Pasco County has a, a school for special needs kids. There are a lot of kids who are in need of special you know, school to teach them. Sometimes right now uh, we have kids that will place in schools. And what you have is you have kids who excel faster than others. And so what we're doing is we're trying to teach both sides of it at the same time. It's very, very difficult to do that because what's happening is you either teach the ones who are going real you know, fast in their studies, we slow them down to have the others catch up. But at the same time, we're doing a disservice to both of them. And some kids actually fall through the cracks and cannot really function in that way. In Pasco County, they have a school that is set up uh, so that special needs kids, kids who have special needs, are taught separately to uh, function and to bring them up to the levels where they become extremely productive. These kids, you know, who have special needs, they're, they're very smart, very intelligent. 
And so if we teach them at the pace that they are able to go, uh, they could excel to whatever level they want to. And so I want to have a school set aside for special needs. I want a school very similar to Pasco County, one that uh, is funded by other businesses, uh, for instance, like Pepin. You know, that would be one. He's a, he's a very uh, uh, terrific person who gets into philanthropy. If we had people like that helping us with our schools, they wouldn't be taking money away from the general fund. It would actually be enhancing it because we're getting outside sources to help the kids in special needs. Correct. And I know you were an opponent, um, a proponent of expansion of the mental health services in, in the school system. Yes, uh, that's a very important factor. And uh, my opponent talks about this all the time, uh, you know, because she's been involved with uh, NAMI and her husband is, I believe, is the president of NAMI. Well, we have two individuals who are very, very smart who have just been brought in under the uh, mandated program by the state, and they are uh, very, very in tune to mental health issues and are very, very capable of doing this. And these are in-house people who are working for the district and uh, are moving in a very positive direction. I feel that they are going to have this program up and running at a strong pace, and we need to expand it. Uh, my concept, Richie, is to go in-house with as much as we can. It saves us a tremendous amount of money rather than going out and hiring outside people to come in and for a certain fee. There's a lot of fees that we spent in, in the school district on consultants, you know, uh, people who have the special interests that they want to try and, uh, for instance here, uh, the school district, you know, they wanted to go out and, and bring uh, consultants in to hire a new superintendent. Well, my feeling is let's look in-house and see what we have. Let's look and see if there's someone there. The fact that Dr. Romano is gone uh, you know, saddens a lot of people, and I guess it makes a lot of people happy. I, I'm not going to get into that. But think of the things that we have accomplished in a short period of time with this board. Uh, I have nothing but compliments for Gus Guardadino. Without Gus, uh, we wouldn't have had the half cent. Uh, without Matt, we wouldn't have had the busing issue uh, brought, to, brought forward. Uh, you know, there are so many people there who are working. Uh, Matt, Matt uh, excuse me, uh, Mark Johnson who has been so instrumental in getting so many programs in, and I'm very proud of what he does. He just lost the election, but he'll be missed. And I'm hoping that I, if I get elected, which if it's God's will, I will, uh, that we can move forward. I can work with anyone who is there to make this happen. If the county wants me to get out and help them, then I'm gonna be there to do it. If the district wants me to help them, I'll be there to do it. But always remember this, my first and foremost thing, it's our children. The children have a special place in my heart. I was one of them, and I want them to have the advantages I had. Again, so next question would be, so do you believe politics should be involved with, with our schools? I don't think there's a place for politics in our schools. I really don't. And uh, what I'm very happy about uh, for this last year that I've been working as a volunteer is I have been able to make other people understand this too. Uh, I've had discussions with our chamber members, they understand it. I've had the, uh, many of the county leaders understand what we're trying to do. I'll, I'll give you a great for instance, uh, when we did the half cent, there were many people who said, yeah, I don't want to do it, or yes, I want to do it. We brought the entire community together. We brought the so-called who's who, you know, we brought the chamber in, we brought the realtors in, uh, we brought the teachers to make them understand how powerful they are and that they can actually make an election go in a different direction if they want to. Uh, we've, we had everyone in this community, uh, the seniors, uh, they were opposing in the beginning saying, we don't have kids in school, why should we vote for this half cent? And I went back to them and I told them, don't you realize that when we take a school, for instance, like Westside, which was a F-rated school or Eastside Elementary, which is an F-rated school, and now it's an A-rated school, or you look at an area like Spring Hill Elementary with Michael Main, uh, an incredible principal uh, who, who has just done an outstanding job, and we repaired their schools. We did the same thing at Springs. At every place that we have gone in there and repaired their schools and put new air conditioners in and, and, and did roofs uh, and did all the little things that are, are being done, 
uh, excited the community where I went to see John Emerson and asked him, just show me, John, uh, the areas where we have fixed these schools and brought in these educators to boost these schools up. What has happened to the property values? You know what he said? He said Spring Hill Elementary is up 10%. It's up 7% on the east side, which is a very, very tough district. We are, have to work together. After the election, the people who were saying that they didn't want to do this, the seniors who said, why should I do it? when they saw the values of timber pines going up, the values of Wellington going up, the fact that we have worked together to make all these things happen, the people who were against it called me on the phone, and you know what they said to me, Richie? I have never seen anybody who could pull this community together the way you did. And it wasn't me, it was 14 volunteers, Anthony Kovic, John Mitten, Tammy Brinker, Lynn Gruber-White, Greg Laskowski. Go to all these people. See what they've done. Volunteers trying to do great things for this community. Well, endorsements. You had a couple. Can you tell, can you share? Now, first of all, your position, school board is nonpartisan. Nonpartisan, okay. yes. So we'll, we'll state that for everybody who should know that. Yes. Uh, but you, had a, uh, you have a couple of endorsements, and yes. you're very proud of them. Yes, very proud of them. Because uh, they're earned. Absolutely. Can you share with us? Yes. Uh, my endorsements are extremely important to me uh, because they know what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, I didn't have to go out and ask for the endorsements. They gave me the endorsements. My firefighters came in and endorsed me without hesitation. My law enforcement came out and endorsed me, my Fraternal Order of Police, Nature Coast. All the retirees who are in law enforcement came forward. The realtors, Association of Realtors, who were extremely instrumental in getting the half cent passed, came out and endorsed me. The teachers, the Hernando County uh, Teachers Association, they came out and endorsed me. Just recently, the State Education Association came out and endorsed me. I have endorsements from every person who, who gives endorsements. I'm, I met with the Builders Association, and I believe they're going to endorse me. And so these are people who are very influential in the community. Uh, there's attorneys who have endorsed me, uh, controversial people who, who have endorsed me. Uh, one endorsement that I really uh, appreciated getting uh, was the one from Tom Hogan. Uh, he came out and endorsed me, and that was very nice. Uh, Randy Woodruff came out and endorsed me. You know, there, there are so many people who are, if you look in the background of what we've, we've collected in money, I, I haven't gone out and solicited, we, we haven't had any fundraisers, but people have come out and endorsed me for this office because they know that we're going to work together to get it done. And I've explained to them, it's not about one board member. It's about the community behind that board member that'll make that work. I am trying to make everybody understand that I am doing this for my kids. I have no aspirations of running for any other office, nor will I run for another office again. This is it. This is it for me. Uh, if I can't help them this time, uh, then I won't, I won't be around after this election. So, uh, I'm going to leave you with this. I am a very, very spiritual person who believes that we all have a plan that God has laid out for us. And I feel that he has willed us to all come together for this important task. You, Richie, the Chamber, the Association of Realtors, all the people who are the who's who in this county and the ones who are in South Brooksville, the African-American community. These are all communities, Ridge Manor, all these communities have to come together and understand what we're trying to do. This can change the way we do business in this county of coming together. This election is extremely important if we're gonna move in that direction. And if it's the will of God, it'll happen. And if it's not, I accept it and I guess I'll be out there enjoying my sweet, sweet wife <laughs> and my sweet life again. Well, Jimmy, tell me about that. You're going to have the last words. You're going to tell our viewers why on November 6th, when they go to vote, are they going to vote for Jimmy Lodato? You have the last word. Thank you, Richie. I appreciate that. 
Richie, uh, the last word to the community is, I am offering you not only hope, but five and a half years of volunteer work. I have been to 90% of all of the school board meetings. I know the school district backwards and forward. And the reason I say that is I'm there for every meeting. I'm there for their finance meetings. I'm there for their negotiations. I'm, I'm there all the time. And I have a deep understanding of what we need. And I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm doing it for our kids. I'm doing it to give that one little kid like I was a chance to be extremely successful. Think of it, Richie. I came from nothing. I made all these things through the grace of God. I attracted all those corporations by the grace of God, and I am here to serve, and that's all I'm interested in doing, serving them. So if they want me to serve them, if they want me to come out and do the right thing for their children and do the right thing for our teachers, you know, our teachers are, it's a sad state of event with our teachers because of what we pay them. It's so little for what they do. You know, when you start someone at $37,000 a year and they had to go to school and they have to get uh, funding to go to school and they have this enormous debt from graduating and then it takes them uh, 20 years to pay for it. I'm speaking from experience because my daughter's a teacher. My son's a teacher. I, I understand everything that they go through and I'm sad for them because people always tell me, you know what, well, the teachers do it for the love of the children. And that's true. But Richie, the, the teachers also have to buy homes and sure. buy cars and have a standard in life. And I want them to have a better standard in life. I want them to feel appreciated and loved. See, a happy teacher makes a happy student. A happy student makes a happy parent. A happy parent makes a happy community. So I want to make them all happy. I want to start it off from the bottom and just make it a complete circle. And I need the entire community to come help me. I'm only one, but I can raise a lot of hell to get work to where we want to go, as they found out with Half Cent. So if you're listening to all this and you feel the way I do and you want to help, then get out on November the 6th and vote for me and vote for the changes we need. And I want to say God bless everyone out there. Well, with that said, I'm Rich Sanvenero again from On Point, and we'll see you next time. Next